Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Do you know that today is already July 9th, 2023? That's really hard to believe. It actually feels like the 4th of July was yesterday. We pack a lot of life into this life. Guys, we're literally on the mountain of God together right now. I know you could feel that during the first set of worship, but it felt like we were at the highest point of the mountain of God, getting his divine revelation and being able to spend time in his presence in order to give to those of our brothers and sisters and those other families that have need around us. As Adonai is growing our collective strength and our collective unity together. We want to say that pashatly from the beginning of this message so that you guys are fully with us this morning. You know that your own identities are becoming more secure as priests of the living God. I know you guys can feel that. That's because for the very reason that your brothers in this room are clothing you with the calling and identity that you have with great intention and fervor for the Lord. Steve Thomas, I want to call you out this morning. Brother, spending time in my house this week together with your wife until the very wee hours of the morning getting to be clothed in the identity that is Christ and also also turning around and clothing me in that same identity from the word of God. Brother, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the way that you're speaking into your family and your wife and the way that your whole entire family is being led by your authority, brother. Can you tell that this is exactly what God is saying to this house? This came forward in a a prophetic word this morning about him establishing us as priests, that he is the high priest and he has made us in his likeness. Look, you as a church are focused. No, you're more than focused. Nay, I say, you are actually sacrificing for your brothers in a way that helps them to be clothed in what God says that they are and what they will be. You know, when I start to think about that, I look back and I see Nick Rosales. Come on, man. I see a man of God who is now teaching at our discipleship training on Friday nights. He's hearing from God in a supernatural way about joining, joining a covenant ministry team. What you can see in Nick Rosales is a man who is fighting for other men, who is sacrificing for their calling and what God says they are and what God says that they will accomplish in their lives because he's committed to it. Come on. Come on, Nick. That is an amazing testimony, man of God. I am so excited about what is happening in your life right now. The supernatural power of God is at work through you and the covenant team that God is forming around you. Guys, after conversation, after conversation and more conversations with you this week, we can see that you guys are indeed climbing that mountain of God. That you have learned to put your brother's needs above your own. And when you're spending time with the Lord, what you're doing is interceding for your brothers. What you're doing is seeking the face of God for your brothers. You have their needs above your needs. And you're looking for ways to secure them in their time of need. I want to highlight Leslie Spites for a moment. Leslie Spites climbing the mountain of God this week for the needs of his brothers. Leslie, is God doing 
amazing things in your life and in your family. I think he's setting you up for success and looking for a place where you can move in with another family and do ministry together as one. Come on, brother. Church, we are watching even this week in the last seven days that you have had God-ordained moments of repentance from the low expectations of your flesh. Oh, no, that's, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and revisit that again. The repentance that is needed from low expectations of your flesh, and you've grabbed hold of the Spirit, the Word, and the encouragement of God in the mouth of your brother and for your brother. Man, we want to highlight a certain man who's been doing excellently late, and that's Damon Sadita. I like saying your last name like that. I don't know why. Sadita. I don't even know if it's right. It just, that's the way that your name is now. See, what Damon has been doing is Damon's been hearing supernaturally from the Lord. He's been actually hearing from the Lord about people who can join with him, and they can together. They can together. He's looking for a new house for single guys. He's ready to lead the way and to cause godliness, the same godliness that is upon him, to be multiplied in his brothers. Church, you want one more revelation that you're getting this week? That you're actually walking out as a church? You've gotten the revelation that you are not a precious stone apart from your brothers. You're not a precious stone apart from this family. Your preciousness, come on, Pastor Wade. Their preciousness. Just precious. precious. Your preciousness depends on your arrangement together with the other precious stones that God has placed around you. This fact is what makes us the real body of Christ. Brandon Fowler, you are a precious stone because of your arrangement with the other precious stones of this body. You are gaining a deeper conviction as the days go by. I mean, deepest conviction in your heart. That where you are right now is where God has placed you for good. And you cannot and you shall not move from that spot, brother. The Lord is restoring everything and more back into your life because of revelations just like these. Brother, your family is around you. Your son and your daughter are around you, brother. Your wife is sitting next to you, brother. Look what God is doing. Come on, LCM. Come on, church body. Our family jewels are each other, and you know that. You know that for sure now. We are one nation of priests under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for every single one of us in this place. You guys are making every decision by the word, by the spirit, and by your position in the brotherhood and with your brothers in mind, and look at the success that we're having. Come on now. As you think on that, how could you not be reminded of Ephesians 6 when speaking on these subjects? That's true. Do you remember the armor of God that you've always pictured as a singular thing, like you by yourself putting it on, teaching your kids about how it is their responsibility to clothe themselves with each item? Yep. You remember how that's the way you used to look at Ephesians 6? Yep. See, but now you know that Ephesians 6, it speaks in the plural, and that it's not even possible for you to put on the armor of God without your brothers helping to clothe you with each piece that is there. 
See, this is what is causing and this is the result of what it's like to be confident in your status as a priest so that you can believe that God can do it for your brother as well. Man, when you talk about that breastplate of righteousness, that breastplate that you know that has the place for the Urim and the Thummim and the arrangement of your brothers, the very names of your brothers that are there on your chest. Man, another way for us to say that is that our breastplate is made up of our brothers. Can somebody say hallelujah? Since we haven't announced the title of this message yet, as you guys are turning to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, you just got to say breastplate as you turn there. Very good. Breastplate of righteousness. Guys, 1 Peter 2, 4, we're going to read this one in the ESV this morning. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, baby, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a physical house? No! As a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Guys, we are the living stones that this passage is speaking about. But it's not a physical house that we're speaking of being built into. No, it is a very spiritual house that God is arranging each each precious stone in exactly the right place. So that his spiritual house... One spiritual house can be built up. We are each other's family jewels, church. Can you look at your neighbor and say, I'm your family jewel? Very good. Nick Rosales, do that a little better for me. Oh, come on now. That's good. Guys, the word, the spirit guiding us and working in us, the brotherhood, these are the necessary pieces and components that continue to build this house that is the body of Messiah and synonymously a nation of priests. Come on, today we are talking about strengthening the unity in this house. And there's no greater visual or picture of unity than getting to watch a wedding. Isn't that true? Yes. It is the, the very epitome of what unity is supposed to be about. Come on, Luke and Abby. Getting to watch a wedding is the epitome of watching unity happen right there in front of you. Come on now. Let's all turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, and we're going to look at verse 10. And one of the reasons why we're turning here is because the whole goal of a marriage is that you guys become one in every single area of your life. We're talking about not just mezuzah, not just function, not just calling, not just family banner, but the same kind of jelly that you guys like. The same kind of beer that you guys drink together. The same kind of desires that you have. Your goal in your marriage is to be one and to operate as one in every area of your life. And Isaiah 61 is going to help us with that. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will be overjoyed because of my God, for he clothes me in garments of deliverance and salvation. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication or righteousness. I look like a bridegroom when he wears a turban as a priest would. 
I look like a bride when she puts on her jewelry. Man, isn't this a great passage? You're getting to see here a picture of both the groom and the bride, of the unity of two that are becoming one. And both are greatly rejoicing. They are overjoyed. Why? Because they are being clothed by each other, and they're about to be more unified than ever. Now, when you start to think about a wedding day, you're seeing Luke and Abby right here. And, somebody say and. You got the Shane train and Chloe right behind him. Cool, cool. All right, there we go. So I got a question for Luke and Abby and Shane and Chloe. Are you guys greatly rejoicing as you get closer to being unified? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. See, this is what happens when you understand what unity and strengthening of the unity does. See, it says here that a bridegroom, when he wears his turban, when he wears and puts on the turban just like a priest, I love the fact that in this verse it is picturing a groom and a priest as synonymous things. See, as priest, we take time and we remind each other that we are indeed holy to the Lord. When we see that banner that is listed upon someone's forehead, you're able to say, hey, brother, you are a priest like me. We can do this together. Or that bride, when she puts on her jewelry as the bride of Christ. By the way, you do know that you as an individual are not the totality of what the bride of Christ is. That a bride of Christ, this bride, cannot be achieved separately, but it has to be together. And with that togetherness, then it puts every jewel in the perfect place. You see, unity, unity is really everything that our king is after. You look at everything in the kingdom, everything that our king has set up, everything revolves around this word unity, this word oneness. So we're going to take you to school this morning. You guys ready to go to school together with us? We are going to take you to school. Turn to Mark chapter 12 with us. You guys need to realize as you're turning to Mark 12, 28, that this is a discussion that is between a teacher of the law, a scribe, an expert in the law, but one that is getting schooled by none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came, and he heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments... Which is the most important? Which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Guys, this is such an interesting progression here. Raise your hand if you have heard this verse before. Yep, that's just about every hand in the... You know what? I think that was every hand in the room. This teacher of the law approaches Jesus and says, what is the most important commandment? That sounds singular, doesn't it? Yeah. The most important commandment. 
Jesus fully understands this. You can see that from verse 29. Jesus says, the most important one, and then he proceeds to give us two commands. Is it, can you see the dichotomous relationship in this right here? There is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. And then he gives multiples. Guys, plural unity is at the center of everything that God does. So he's asked what the most as a superlative, the singular most. And so Jesus gives an answer that begins with two commandments and says that this, these are the singular most important. But there's something else that's here. Because plural unity is not just about two. There's another piece that Jesus gives here that is very important. See, when we think about this answer, we think about when, when asked this question, what did Jesus respond? Well, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the greatest commandment. But that's not where Jesus begins. He actually begins with, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the beginning of the answer. So that actually gives us a threefold plural unity of an answer to what the singular most important commandment is. So these are the three com components. The Lord is one. Somebody say the Lord is one. Lord. You're supposed to love him with all. Say love him with all. Love him with all. And then you're supposed to love the brotherhood of believers. Say love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Those three is the singular answer to the, what the most important commandment is. It is. You got that, Lynn? All three is. See, in light of the oneness of God and the plural unity that we need to reflect, we have to be operating in plural unity for us to reflect our God who operates in plural unity in a way so that he can receive glory from our lives. So we're going to take you to Jewel School this morning. Everybody say Jewel School. Jewel School. It's hard to say, isn't it? The title of our message today is Jewel School. Now, if you want to go to Jewel School with us, which you're here, so you don't have an option, you're coming with us, and we know that you want to, Jewel School is going to start with a few passages that are purposefully meant to cut you. That's because the goal of this ministry is to take what is uncut and to cut it so that it fits in God's kingdom. So we are going to take you to three passages that are purposefully meant to cut something off of you and help shape and form you this morning. That is the reason why these three passages are going to come specifically from the prophets. And we're going to start with the prophet Jeremiah. After Jeremiah, we'll go to Lamentations. And after Lamentations, guess where we're going? Ezekiel. That's right. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. The first is going to be Jeremiah 2, 32. Jewel School. Does a young woman forget to put on her jewels? Does a bride forget to put on her bridal attire? Have you ever been to a wedding where it was like, oh my God, I forgot my dress? No. Definitely not. But my people have forgotten me for many, for more days than can 
e than can even be counted. Guys, for a bride to forget to put on her dress or her bridal attire, she would have had to do so willingly. That would be the only reason why a bride would show up to her wedding not dressed and ready to go. You ready for our first component here? Are there times when you, as the bride of Christ, have willingly forgotten to put on the breast piece of your brothers? Are there times when you have willingly said, uh, I know what I need to do here, but I'm going to willingly cast that breast piece to the side? Come on, you can answer us this morning. Guys, this is the only way that you actually gain Adonai's will and Adonai's guidance in your life. But knowing that you should bring this to your brothers in your team, and you just don't want to, so willingly casting that aside, that is a way to guarantee that you do not gain Adonai's will and desire for you. Wanting to do what you want so badly that you willingly forget Guys, you know the components that are necessary as we move forward. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the brotherhood that He has put around you. These are all necessities by the will of God. But we cannot continue in actions that prostitute this kind of reality. Choosing to forget your brothers, choosing to forget the breast piece of who God has put around you is actually choosing to forget the Lord because that is his body. We're going to not do this this morning. But like we said, that is the first component of where we need to be cut so that we can get this right and move forward. So when we're talking about forgetting, this is not just a, a matter of your intellect. I, I just forgot. I, I'm just not very good at remembering things. What we're talking about here is when you are willingly forgetful about bringing things before the brotherhood. When you're actually engaged and you know that you have a weekly team meeting and you forgot for weeks on end to bring up something, you forgot. You didn't forget at all. What you're trying to do is manipulate the situation and you're running after your own desires instead of what God has done. When pastor said that that is like prostituting out what God has done in you, you are noticing and you are willfully forgetting to bring something before the brotherhood, to actually inquire of the word and the spirit and do all those things in conjunction. Because when you choose to forget, somebody say, I choose to forget. We like the convenience of sounding like it was beyond our control. I just forgot. That would be like a bride forgetting to get dressed in her wedding dress on the wedding day. That would have to be a willful forgetfulness. Somebody say, that cuts. That cuts. Let's go to Lamentation chapter 4. Lamentations chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Somebody say, jewel school as you turn. Jewel Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 1 in the NET. Alas! Gold has lost its luster. Pure gold loses value. Jewels are scattered on every street corner. Okay, so we want you to think about gold today as your team. 
as the divine proclamation, the divine importance of what God has put together as the family of Christ, as the body of believers here at LCM. So the question that we need to ask you in light of Lamentations 4 is, has your team lost its luster to you? Is your brother losing value? Because if so, uh, we just want to tell you, gold is still gold. The value is unchanging. But what happens is, is that the luster and the value have been lost in your eyes. Got to go to another team meeting this week. Well, got to get a word for somebody. Got to have words given to me today. Man, I haven't thought about my heart this entire week, so I'm really going to have to just kind of fudge my way through a mashlomka. I'm, I'm just going to kind of make it up in the moment because I really haven't been. You know what that means? That means that the luster, the value of the divine things that are around you have been lost and it causes you to scatter the jewels everywhere and on every street corner. Do you guys remember how excited you were when, when you first started working, working together with other men and other families? Oh, yeah. The novelty of that, the Lord has put me in a team. This is exciting. I love what the church is doing. This is, this is great. The reason that it's gold, the reason that it is precious, it's because it's the very means by which you are able to make every decision. Somebody say every decision. Every decision. To have the means. It doesn't mean that you know the answer going in, but you know exactly what process you need to go through to get the answer from the heavens. That is what is at stake here. So is the luster now gone? See, we cannot allow the luster and the value inside of us to be fading. For us to treat it as another meaning. You know, man, I'm kind of busy this week. I wish I didn't have to go right now. You know, I wish it wasn't quite as long in the meeting. I wish I could kind of get back to my rest a little bit and do more. You cannot allow what God is doing. It is gold. It is precious stones. And it must be valued by us in each and every way. The precious brothers and the team that you've been given... You should think about them as being worth their weight in gold. Worth their weight in gold. How many millions of dollars would you and you, would my weight produce millions of dollars actual worth of gold? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of millions, I promise. <laughs> worth their weight in gold. Worth the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't count that high. Church, this kind of systemic drift causes jewels not to be fitted in their place. It causes the jewels not to be fitted correctly in their place, but causes them to be scattered. So let us just say it plainly to you today. We are trying to get at something that we know that we need as a church. In the midst of one of the finest seasons that we've ever been in, what can cause the jewels of this house, we're pastors, we don't want not a single jewel to be out of place exactly where God has for you. We want every jewel to be in place and collectively we will be able to hear from God rightly with the word and the spirit. So in other words, what we're saying is we have to deal with toxic individuality. In case you didn't get the gold and the luster and the jewels, we have to deal with toxic individuality. 
not taking your place with a deep conviction that you still need the brotherhood that Adonai has placed around you. God placed you here. God put you here. God brought you here. Therefore, the brothers that are around you are more than just necessary. They are vital to your survival and your right placement within the body of Christ. And that only grows more and more and more as time goes on. Chris Riazora. Can you say, my team is worth its weight in gold? That was really close. <laughs> We're going to count it. Church, your teams are worth their weight in gold. They are. And the reason why we're highlighting this to you this morning is because it's about more than just you being set in your place. It's about more than just your brother who's sitting by you right now being set in their place. Our vision is for a century, church. It's not for just this year. Our vision is for the next hundred years and how God will sustain this vision through our children's children. When the gold be, remains the gold that it is and does not lose its luster in you, then your children's children will be put as precious stones in their place in God's kingdom. That is our goal. Turn to the next book of Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16, 17. Jewel school. You also took your beautiful jewelry. Oh my goodness. Made of my gold and my silver, I had given to you and made for yourself male images and engaged in ooh, prostitution with them. Church, you've been hearing that you are precious. You've been hearing that you are beautiful. And it is true. And you did not make yourself beautiful. The brotherhood is what made you beautiful. Amen. The brotherhood is what has cut you, what has polished you, what has made you who you are today. Others have been speaking into you about who you are in the Lord for years now. Years. And that's why you're becoming the very thing that God has called you to be. That is why you sit in these seats as a minister of the gospel. You've been given precious gold. You've been given precious silver by the Lord. You've been placed together with other precious stones. The, cl the clench this morning in this passage is, what are you doing with what has been freely handed to you? Are you using that authority given by God in the brotherhood to tear down or to build up? Guys, we do not demand that our brothers show their worth to us before we credit them with who they are in Jesus Christ. You have been given the authority to speak to your brother and show him who he is in the Lord despite what he's doing in this moment that might be contrary. That authority is to build up and not to tear down. Guys, we need to learn to use the same measure of care with our brothers that has been used for us. 
the same measure of care that has been given to you. And we're not going to fall into the trap that others owe us something and we don't build them up because of that debt. This is not how you have been treated in this house. And we know that as you get this revelation and do what it says, what you're going to do is raise up other gemstones that do not feel like they are owed something, but know that they owe a debt to the brotherhood. Somebody say, I've just been schooled. See, we've just talked to you about three very pertinent concepts to who we are right now. Being willingly forgetful, to use rightly the brotherhood, devaluing the brotherhood, and an abuse of authority within the brotherhood. But just like Jesus did not leave the teacher of the law hanging after he asked his question, of which commandment was the greatest, we're not going to leave you hanging either. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's look at some very practical verses that will help us with this, starting immediately. You get the help right now. Somebody say, I get the help now. Like a chiastic structure, we're going to begin with our last correction from Ezekiel and work our way back through Lamentations and then land on a solution to Jeremiah. Let's all turn to Psalm 141 and let's begin in verse 1. Psalm 141.1. Oh Lord, I cry out to you. Come quickly to me, Lord. Pay attention to me when I cry out to you. May you accept my prayer like incense, my uplifted hands like the evening offering. Look at verse 3. Oh Lord, place a guard on my mouth. Protect the opening of my lips. Do not let me have evil desires or participate in sinful activities with men who behave wickedly. I will not eat their delicacies. Can you feel the power in Psalm 141, church? Most of the time we skip straight to verse 5, but the first four four verses are just as powerful and moving. We have been given authority from this brotherhood and from heaven to build up and not to tear down. Your brother is already valuable. How do you know that? Because he walked through these doors And he's committed to the brotherhood. That's how you know that he's valuable. That's how you know that he's a precious stone. Uncut as he is. But this is the place that's going to form him. The Lord brought him here. Which means that he is something precious in the Lord's eyes. You need to know that this morning. We will not eat the wicked morsels. And sinful delicacies of jabs that tear down. You know, right after something has gone from your mouth and it's, it's sinful, it's wicked, it's a morsel, you can feel that like slight satisfaction in your flesh. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. We're going to place a guard over our mouths. We're going to place a guard over our lips so that we do not eat these sinful delicacies. Guys, we're going to commit to building up and not tearing down. Not just in our intentions, but actually in the words that come out of our mouth. Look, in Proverbs chapter 20, turn with us there. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 15. It says this. There is gold and an abundance of rubies, but words of knowledge are like a precious jewel. 
So how do you go about combating a devaluing of your team or devaluing of the brotherhood? The way that you combat that is you go up on the mountain for them. You actually rise up. Are you feeling hostile towards a brother about a situation? The answer for you is to go up on the mountain for him. Not calling fire down on him. You've gone up on the mountain for him and you bring down a word for that brother who is a precious jewel in the kingdom. See, what happens when you do that? When you actually go up on the mountain and get something supernatural for a brother is that it reminds you, it revives you, it revives both of you because it reminds you of who your brother is in the Lord and what he looks like in God's eyes and it reminds him of that exact same thing. The way that you combat the devaluing is that you get a word from the heavens. You put down your flesh and you go right up on the mountain close to God and you get a word of knowledge for your brother. Can we move to as close to home as we possibly can right now? All right. We're going to turn to Song of Songs. Come on with us. Let's go. We're going to read exactly two verses from Song of Songs. We're going to get literally as close to home as we possibly can this morning with you. The first is going to be from chapter 7, verse 1. You guys there? Song of Songs 7, 1. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels. The work of an artist hands. Guys, this is a powerful passage. Because when you are willingly forgetful with the brotherhood, with the breast piece, guess where that starts? It starts in your home. It starts with being willingly forgetful with the intentional words that you are to speak over your wife. That's where it all starts. If you're running from the breast piece of your brothers, we guarantee that you're also running from the attentiveness that your wife also needs. But when you are willingly attentive, when you purposefully speak about the perfect way that God has formed your wife, the perfect way that God has shaped her spiritually and physically, guys, this will begin to fix all other areas of, with, of retreat and withdrawal as well. You see, that kind of speech will pour out of your house onto the brotherhood, onto the team, and it will fix everything. Husband, something else also happens when you choose to be willingly attentive. When you choose to be willingly attentive, Song of Songs, chapter 5 and verse 12 becomes a reality. It says that his eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. Okay, now we're having to go after this a little bit this morning because I just got to be honest with you. I needed this passage, these passages this week. More than just having and trying to be faithful to the only having the right words, I know that God was dealing with me about looking at my wife with a willing attentiveness to what was going on. More than just as a task that I had to accomplish in a day, I was looking at my wife and working towards a willingly, being willingly attentive to what was really going on. You know how you can say something to a, to a spouse and you're like, hey, love you, babe. And it is true, 
but maybe you're not feeling it as much in that moment as in another moment. Is anybody with me? You're able to say some of the things, but there is a lack of willing attentiveness that is going on there. See, but when you have this right, what happens is, is what happens in chapter five. Our wife's response to us. Hey guys, you want to have a better response from your wife? Okay, well, some of you do. For our wives to respond to us, we want her that all she can see are the jewels that are your eyes. That you are looking as jewels to her so that she can finally see herself in your eyes as the jewel that you actually see her to be. You're able to actually look at your wife. She sees the jewels in her eyes because she sees that she is a jewel in your eyes. And then what happens? She responds in a way that is beautiful. See, our eyes for our wives must be jewel-like. Our eyes for our wives must be jewel-like. We've got to see who our wives are. And speaking to that makes them see the jewel that they are to us. And when they can see that reality. In a, somebody say reality. reality. Okay. But pastor, I've tried to Abigail her, but it doesn't work. You're being a faithless coward. And you are trying to have a fake jewel in your eye. If you actually look at your wife, if you actually are valuing her and treasuring her. You bought that at the dollar store, didn't you? <laughs> you, you are able... When you look at your wife as the true jewel that she is, and she can see that in your eyes, church, come on now. It causes them to believe it. Do you still love me? Yes. And I won't get discouraged by having to say it to you again. Why would I look at a jewel and go, oh my gosh, it's only a precious jewel? No, I want to, no, I won't talk about polishing jewels or anything. So we'll just keep, we'll just keep moving on. It just, it, just, it just came to mind. I was just, I got caught up in the moment. Jewel school, baby. Jewel school. What we want to tell you about is the fact that when we're talking to you about your team, your team is just a magnification of what's going on inside of your home. If you're not valuing your wife as the precious jewel that she is, a God-ordained mutual co-easer that you guys are designed to be one, how can you actually believe that for your team? The answer is, you can't. So we can have a lot of platitudes, we can have a lot of things that we're saying, but the actual value of those around us, it's going to start in our home. Somebody say, it starts in my home. You're going to start in your home, and as that precious nature of how you look at your wife, the words that you're speaking to her, it will solve that issue, and then it magnifies out to your team. It magnifies out to this church. It magnifies out in the generations. This is more than just what we're supposed to be saying, because I can get really good at saying what I'm supposed to. But to have a jewel-like look of my wife 
it is no trouble for me to say the same thing again for you. I want to develop this relationship. When you are seeing things like that, your willing attentiveness in your own home always expands out to a willing attentiveness in the brotherhood. Come on now. This is an, an amazing time and an amazing uh, revelation. I just have to be honest with you. This is what I've, one of the many things that I've been dealing with this week. Am I going to do this because it's just a singular duty? Or do I look at my wife with the value of something supernatural? That's where I was this week. I thought I'd share it with you. <laughs> Pastor Wade, thank you for sharing with us the different levels that this affects. Because our God is a God that has designed every single thing, every single level in his kingdom, every single concentric ring to function as many parts operating in a unified way. That is how our God functions. That is his very nature. Guys, you can see what most of the world has done to try to destroy that fact, especially most of the church world especially most of the Western church world. You see, we've spent years of digging up bad theology and going back to the biblical foundation and standard of how our king works. The church in the West is notorious for singular leaders, ladders of selfish ambition, and never-ending factions coupled with continuous segmentation. Is that not right? By the way, how many denominations exist on this continent today? Can you, can you even count them? How many denominations of denominations exist today because of never-ending factions? You can't even put a number on it. In light of what we're speaking about, in a very, very rare moment this week, I'm talking about unique as all get-out, Pastor. 0.1%. We discovered a positive about the King James Version that actually helps us with this concept. Here's our slide. Check this out with us. Not arbitrary choices. Why is this significant for English Bible readers? The Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Koine Greek of the New Testament both maintain the distinction between the singular and plural forms of you that have been lost in modern English. Wow, let's read more. This presents a problem in modern English translations. That's like when you say you and you can't figure out is this singular or plural. That's a problem with modern English. Whereas in Old English, the distinctions were clear. The uses of you, ye, thou, and thee, whether in Shakespeare's plays or in the King James Bible, were not arbitrary choices. Check this out. Thou and thee were always singular. You and ye were always plural. That kind of helps us a little bit, doesn't it? As you're thinking about that concept, turn with us to 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to read it to you from the King James. We'll translate it for you. It's okay. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. See, church, we've been preaching about the precious stones that God has sent us, that we are, and how those are being cut and sanded down to fit in their God-ordained spot within the church. Your work in the field of precious metals and precious stones is going to be rewarded and rewarded abundantly. See, your goal is and has always been to leave others better than what you found them. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, say, say abide with me, abide. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You've been, you are working in a way that your work, church, will indeed abide. And we're going to prove that to you this morning. Your reward is indeed kept in heaven for you and waiting for you. Reading this actually reminded us of a passage in John 15. John 15 verse 12, we're going to read it to you. So it says, my command is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because the slave does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have revealed to you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that remains. Fruit that abides. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This I command you to love one another. Guys, this is what we're talking about. All of us are after a work that abides. All of us are after a fruit that remains. And this passage actually tells us how to get there. All of these things on our next slide, we can see at work in your life this week. Take a look at this slide. It is from this passage that we just said, and we're seeing it at work in you. How there is a genuine love one for another. How you're willing to lay down your life for each other. To follow the direction of your brothers. Knowing that you are a friend of Jesus and not a slave. Can somebody say hallelujah? That you, church, have the revelation of the Father and you give it to others. That you are chosen and appointed to bear fruit that remains. That when you ask according to the Father's will, he will give it to you. And the eighth item on the list is the same as the first item on the list. That you love one another. This is an amazing thing when you think about it. To have the first and the last item on a list that's the same thing. What does that mean for you? you can actually see that it's probably more like a circle and that it keeps you going in this process the entire time. See, your lives put these things on display. They put these attributes on display and you're teaching others how to display them just like you do. But we want to read John 15, verse 12 through 17 again, but we want to do it in the King James for you so that you can see and you can remember from our original slide that thou and thee are singular. Somebody say thou and thee. Those are singular, but you and ye, say you and ye, are plural. So take a look at John 15, beginning in verse 12 in the King James. This is my commandment that ye, plural, love one another as I have loved all of you. 
Greater love hath no man than this, than a man, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye All you. are my friends. If ye All you. do whatever, whatsoever I command you, y'all, henceforth I call you not servants. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto all of you. You, I'm sorry, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen all of you and ordained all of you, that all of you should go and bring forth fruit, and that all of your fruit should remain, that whatsoever all of you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to the entirety of the group. These things I command all of you, that all of you might love one another." See, fruit that remains can never be accomplished individually. Fruit that actually remains can never be accomplished individually. Now, if you're like me, this was a, a real revelation of this passage. Not knowing the plural and the singular, but realizing this entire passage is speaking about fruit that remains for the collective body as we operate together. That's why Jesus is speaking plurally in John 15 and why 1 Corinthians 3 speaks about methods of building where you either have abiding work that you did with others that produces a reward or you lose everything but possibly your own soul. The importance of the plural unity is seen and we want to take you back to 1 Corinthians 3 to show that. 1 Corinthians 3.16, we're back there in the King James in a rare sequence of events. Know ye, you all not, that you are all the temple, are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in all of you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple all of you are. Guys, if you're like me, you've heard this text used to defend the sanctity of a human life, or highlight the unique value of each follower of Jesus on an individual level, or even a general encouragement for someone who finds themselves lonely. There are many passages in the New Testament that speak to those truths, but something else entirely is in view here. A look at the context and the fact that both uses of the word you in this sentence are indeed plural make this abundantly clear. The sentence should actually read, do you not know that you guys are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you guys? Guys, this is because the Corinthian church collectively makes up the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells collectively among them. They endanger endanger the work of the gospel that is supposed to stand the test of time and endure when the church misrepresents and opposes the oneness of God's spirit. That's the important part of this. LCM, you guys do understand plural unity. So you're continually working in light of all of us being one temple and you're actually acting like we all belong to Christ and to each other. That's an encouragement for you this morning. Your work is producing a singular temple made up of many called individuals, all who are working through his singular spirit to build work that stands the test of time, perseveres through the fire, and will last for eternity. Now, church, you remember that the sermon today is titled Jewel School. 
So you also remember our teacher of the law that we spoke about earlier in Mark chapter 12. He was schooled on plural unity that answered his question as to the most important commandment. And you also remember that we told you that there were actually three components to the greatest commandment. The Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And love the brotherhood of believers. This was the singular answer to what the most important commandment is. So we want to actually pick back up in Mark chapter 12. We want to pick back up in the story. And we're going to begin in verse 32 to see how this teacher of the law responded to Jesus' perfect answer. Jewel school for Mark chapter 12, verse 32. He's well said, teacher, the man replied. By the way, I don't know why this struck me as so humorous. The reason that this teacher of the law, this expert in the law began to engage was because he approved of Jesus' answer. Now Jesus speaks to him. He's like, well said, teacher. Good answer, boss. The man replied, you are right in saying God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, this teacher of the law came away with the same conclusion that we did. That the right answer is to first see that the Lord our God is one. He even begins and adds something to what Jesus said, realizing that that very concept caused him to at least reference Deuteronomy 4, there is no other God but him. He was able to magnify the Lord because he understood and began rather to began to understand what Jesus was saying. Now let's pick it up in verse 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Guys, Jesus could see that this teacher of the law answered wisely, going as far as to declare that he wasn't far from the kingdom. A revelation of these things, of God's oneness and unity, it puts you close to the kingdom. But living out lives of unity together with him, with your wife, with your brothers, well, that makes you the kingdom of God. There's actually a footnote in verse 30 that references Deuteronomy 6.5. And this is fantastic. It is the Shema. It is in, in view here. But what if we told you that there was even more to be schooled in from this passage? Deuteronomy 30 is where we're going to go. Say, jewel school as you turn to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, and we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart whenever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything that I've commanded you. Now church, we just want to make sure that it's clear. We're not saying that Jesus wasn't referencing the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 back when we were reading it in Mark. What we are saying is that Jesus was likely referencing more than just Deuteronomy 6. Because you can hear the exact same language here in Deuteronomy 30. Did you hear it? When you obey him. Well, you know the biblical principle. If you're obeying, that is the same thing as love. Love equals obedience. And you obey with all of your heart, with all of your soul. 
See, these are promises for the entire nation and all of their generations so that they may all experience the blessings of plural unity that the entire kingdom is built upon and it operates on. And this is what Jesus is referencing here from Deuteronomy. Let's keep going. Verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Guys, the answer is even if you've been banished by bad behavior. Even if you have been making decisions that could not be described as unity. The desire of the Lord is to restore the collective fortunes of his people and demonstrate his compassion by gathering you and bringing you back into unity with the brotherhood. The unity that our sacrifice for brothers will produce is a harvest in the nations, my brothers. The scattered uncut gems will be brought in through our unified sacrifice. Let's take a look at verse 5. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. See, when we are brought back into perfect unity, knowing that our Lord is one, then we will love and obey him with all that we are, and then we will also love the brotherhood. When we are then, I'm sorry, we are then able to take possession of new lands. Somebody say new lands. You're able to take possession of new gems in this exact same way. This also guarantees a continual circumcision of our own hearts. Did you hear how it said that the Lord would circumcise their hearts and that of their children? See, this qualifies us to continue in his supernatural working through us as a collective group. We're quickly coming to a close together this morning. But we want you to consider, as we land this message, speaking about the continual state of circumcision. Considering the way that many covenants have been made throughout history. Many godly covenants. How these godly covenants were recommitted to. By placing one's hand under the thigh. Do you guys recognize that phrasing, that verbiage? Guys, you know that when the word says, place your hand under my thigh, that verbiage is a little bit cleaned up in the English. It's a lot cleaned up. Okay, it's a lot cleaned up. It actually obscures that they would place their hand under the very place that physical circumcision actually happened. Literally, placing their hand under the jewels, Carlos. Under the jewels, right there. Guys, you can see that in Genesis 24. Abraham had his chief servant put his hand under Abraham's jewels before he went to search for a wife for Isaac. You can see it in Genesis 47. Jacob had Joseph put his hand under Jacob's jewels and swear that Joseph would carry Jacob's bones out of Egypt and back to the land of their fathers. 
The placing of your hand under the thigh or jewels of another signified the making of a covenant of epic proportions or the continuation of your commitment to that original covenant. So what we're saying today is that, brothers, we're in a covenant together. We have pledged our allegiance to each other as members of one body and one family so that the inheritance of the nations may be gathered and brought in in a great homage to our incredible king. So like I said, we are in covenant together. But think about how that looked in the biblical times. Think about what that would have looked like for Abraham or for Jacob or for Joseph. How did they make these covenants? It required, somebody say requires. Required that they submit the most vulnerable, sensitive parts of who they are to the brotherhood and trust that their brothers would do the same for them. Now, that is an incredible look. We talk about being in covenant. Everybody in the room was like, yes. This is the kind of covenant that we're looking at. There's at least one more place in the word where you can see a covenant made in this special way. This is going to be our final passage today. So we want everyone to turn with us to 1 Chronicles 29, and we're going to begin in verse 23 and say, Jewel school, as you turn there. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse 23. We're going to read it to you from the ESV. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. That's already an amazing part that we're not even going to broach here today. Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of David his father. And he prospered. And all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders... And the mighty men, and also all the sons of King David, pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. Now, back in my day, you would start every school day by putting your hand over your heart and saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Who knows? Nowadays, they might roll out the prayer mats and make you pray to Allah every morning. I have no idea. But every morning, you would place your hand over your heart to say the pledge. Now, who do we have here? We have all of the leaders of the day. We have all of the mighty men. We have all of the sons of David, along with Solomon, so literally all of his brothers. And here, the words in the Hebrew are not that they pledged their allegiance. The words in the Hebrew are literally, they placed their hand under. Placed their hand under is the actual text in the Hebrew. So the question that comes up is, under what? They place their hands under the jewels. Can you imagine being one of these groups coming before King Solomon? All of the leaders of Israel, all of the mighty men, all of the brothers, placing your hand right under the jewels of Solomon. This is my testimony to you, great king. My dedication, my allegiance, my loyalty. Now, can you imagine for a second that you're King Solomon? See, that's what I thought. You hadn't thought about that part. This is a house that's raising up brothers who are committed to each other. But think about being King Solomon for a second. A large conglomerate, cohort of men lined up down the aisles 
dozens, perhaps hundreds, that are all coming to pledge allegiance by putting their hand under your jewels. See, it's one thing to be committed enough to someone else that you're willing to pledge your undying fealty to them. Do you realize what's going on here as the king? That his generations, that who he is, is he is offering this to all of the men who will lead alongside of him. In the most vulnerable position possible to entrust yourself to the leaders in your kingdom. To the mighty men who were, became mighty under your father. Entrusting yourself to all of your brothers. And trusting that they didn't have ulterior motives of desiring to be the king themselves. See, this is what Solomon did. And this sets the kind of brotherhood that we're after today. We are in covenant together, my brothers, my sisters. We are together in covenant with the Lord who is one. And we are working to reflect his oneness and his unity on the earth together. To grow our strength and to grow our unity, we must deepen our own personal levels of vulnerability with one another. We must deepen our levels of vulnerability. Husbands and wives, this is easy pickings for you. Solomon prospered and Israel obeyed him because he offered his family jewels to all the leaders, all the mighty men, and all of David's sons. What do you think will cause you to prosper and receive the relationship and the unity in your marriage that both of you desire? That's right. Increased levels of vulnerability and transparency with one another. You got to also offer your family jewels to your brother. You have to offer the most intimate parts of you and pledge your allegiance to helping to form the most intimate parts of him. Guys, we're going to imitate Solomon this morning. We're going to say, I hide nothing from you. I hold nothing back from you. I will offer everything that I am to you. What a deep and amazing teaching. One that is sure by the Reddit crowd to be misunderstood. So let me say in advance, if any of you put your hand under my thigh, my wife's going to smack you in the face. <laughs> and yet the rise of Solomon was one based on humility. That he had no idea how to govern this great people of God. That he was a young man, although he was not all of that young. That needed the help of the brotherhood. That his throne was established based on mutual vulnerability. And then, of course, the fall of Solomon was when he lost all of those things. And was unaccountable, uncorrectable, unproductive. That's the story of so many ministries, isn't it? It's like watching the old VH1 specials about the band that rose to stardom and then fell apart. I want in our closing to reflect on where the message started. What a great question a scribe asked. 
of all the commands, which is the greatest one? We always want to boil it down to the simple, don't we? Give me a bumper sticker that can summarize Christianity. Justin, don't grade me too difficultly here. Shema Ya Israel, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ichad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. He's not just one in that he's a monotheistic God. He's one in that he never has two opinions about anything. He is singularly focused on anything that is his will. That's unique from us, isn't it? You love your brothers, but... I mean, I don't know that I want to talk to him about that. See, that's two opinions. Two conflicting opinions. That's the division between Abigail and Nabal. That's the difference between Vashti and Esther. That's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. We are very much not one. We live in a division between that which is redeemed and that which is decaying. But we're committed to only one thing. The redemption of the body that is Jesus Christ. Is that your commitment? Then let's revisit their questions because they were nice to us today. And I had a vacation and I'm feeling kind of scrappy right now. Can we contend with one another for a moment? They covered a passage from Jeremiah with us about a bride forgetting her dress. Pastor Wade said, this is when you are being willingly forgetful of the necessity or use of the brotherhood. I take issue with that a little bit. You didn't forget at all. You know why you didn't tell your brothers, why you didn't go to the meeting and engage with your brothers. It's because you want what you want and you're terrified that you may not get what you want. Somebody stand up and tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me that I'm lying. You're thinking about doing something and you've already taken ownership in your heart and your mind and you do not really want to know what God, his scripture, or the brotherhood says about it because you just want what you want. You know what that's called? The idolatry of self. It's in me. It's in you. And there's so much more of it there than I would like to admit. But good messages like this force you to face it. When you are hesitant to engage with the body of Christ about the things that you are thinking about and planning, it is simply the idolatry of self. You want what you want and don't want to give anybody the opportunity to suggest it might not be right. That will damn you. Of course, they suggested an answer for us. To become willingly attentive to our brothers. To recognize that to imitate God, to be one like God is, is to have a singular attitude and life with the brothers. This was Jesus' dying prayer before the cross. It was John 17. Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. Then they moved to Lamentations. And they talked to us about gold that has lost its luster. You know, the thing that makes gold valuable is it doesn't lose its luster. It has a fixed value. 
So how did their perception of gold that is the brotherhood begin to lose its value? You know what that is? Because in interacting with the brotherhood, you did not get what you want, and you're still mad about it, so you devalue your brothers and sisters. You start to become critical. You start to think maybe they don't have your best interest in mind, which is really just code for you wanted to do what you wanted to do no matter what. It's the idolatry of self. Can you tell that we're at war with the idolatry of self at all times? Your spouse is not your problem. Your brothers are not your problem. Your own desires that battle within you to get what you want when you want it, that is what you are at war with. They suggested an answer for us. To value what Adonai is doing in and through our brothers at all times. Like Romans 12 says, to outdo one another in showing honor. To consider them more valuable than yourself or more specifically, their opinions and their judgments as higher than yours. The third stone-cutting scripture that they gave us was from Ezekiel. This was about the misuse of jewels. It was about the abuse of authority within the brotherhood. This happens when you are grading your brother's performance. I don't know who that brother is to think that he could say that to me to do thus and so. You know why you do that? You're terrified you will not get what you want when you want it, so you need to bring them down. When pastors do this, they start to make decisions that are independent of the welfare of the body and... The way that they justify it is they say, those people are not quite at my spiritual level yet. That's a death sentence for a ministry. They suggested a suggestion for us to develop your brothers at all times. Develop them at all times. If you see a flaw in your brother, develop him. You will need him next week. Am I the only one in here with flawed judgment? Am I the only one in here struggling with the idolatry of self? In three specific areas, they covered the idolatry of self. When you really don't want to check with your brothers, and you have forgotten everything in your life has been built by the relationships between you and Jesus and them. The second one was when you begin to lower your estimated value of your brothers because you want what you want when you want it. The third was when you begin to abuse your brothers, so that you can protect what you want when you want it. That was a hard-hitting message. I wanted to make sure that you felt it, like right in the face. Because if we can turn on the idolatry of self, then we can lift Jesus as high as he is intended to be in our lives and the lives of our brothers. I want to give you one scripture, and then we're going to stand to our feet. The scripture was taught to me by the Sutherlands. Man, they do a good job in this pastoral team helping us, don't they? Psalm 16 in the ESV. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. How many of you think of that as a very personal thing? You, 
going to take refuge in the secret place with the Lord. It's just you and him, nobody else, your personal pocket savior. The refuge of the Lord is the brotherhood that is his body. Preserve me, oh, you know how I know that for sure? Every time somebody falls away, the way the devil does it first is to separate them from the members of the body of Christ. They all fall under the same satanic idea. I can serve God anywhere. And they end up serving God nowhere. They're serving the idolatry of themselves at every turn. Even the YouTube evangelist. Preserve me, oh God. For in you I take refuge, in your body, in the structure that you have built, in what you have surrounded me with, I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, my master, my owner, my controller. I have no good apart from you. To be apart from what God has built around us is to be apart from the Lord. Verse 3 is the issue. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is some of my delight? In whom I delight when they agree with me? In whom I delight when I get what I want? In whom is all of my delight? If you'll stand to your feet, I'm going to suggest a closing. An altar is a place... Where something has to die so that something else can live. An altar is actually a bloody place. A place of crucifixion. A place where something dies so that something else can be resurrected into new life. Did these man, men manage to hit on some idolatry of self in your life? Did a specific decision come to mind to you that you didn't want to lay before the brothers because you want what you want? Did instances of your toxic independence come to your mind? See, all of these are ways that you can claim heaven while living in hellish toxic independence while on earth. You can show up in church and be edified by all that are around you while continuing to do exactly what you want to do. That has to die. Has to die at the altar. And when you stand up from the altar, what has to be resurrected and breathe life into is, Lord, your will at all times. And I won't know what your will is without the other members of your body that I can bounce off of my discernment. You were given a vertical standard that is the word of God. And you were given a horizontal relationship. To neglect it is to say no to God's will in your life. Can I tell you, as proud as I am of this body, we definitely have to repent. We have to repent of manipulating every situation to make sure that you get what you want. I can drive at this all day, but I have a feeling the Spirit is already dealing with you. Every wife in this room, you know very well the way in which you twist and shade your wording to make sure that your husband's decision is the decision that you want. 
Every husband in this room, you know very well the words that you leave out and the words that you add to when dealing with your brothers to make sure that it turns out as you wanted it to. That's not really wanting God's will. That's wanting your own will and being willing to abuse the body of Christ to get it. I'm gonna suggest a time of repentance followed by a time of resurrection. That kind of idolatry of self dies at this altar today. Then we will stand up as the most empowered people on the earth because we have each other. The breastplate of Aaron is how we make decisions. It's the word and the spirit right over your heart and in formation with every tribe of Israel, every member of the body of Christ. That's how you'll know that you landed on God's will. Do you want God's will? To get God's will, you have to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. I'm suggesting this is a Garden of Gethsemane moment where you will be pressed until you bleed, that you will get rid of some of these toxic ways in your heart so that you can stand up having crucified that and be risen in the image of Christ along with your brothers. Father, we thank you for this moment because it was born of you. Lord, you have led the people that you have redeemed into greater consecration, not just to you, but to each other that we might be more consecrated to you. Thank you, mighty God, for you are saving my own life again. You are saving my own family again. Lord, you are helping me to be conformed into your image again. And I love you for it. Put to death in me, Lord, this toxic idea that I want what I want. Lord, I need to want what you want. And I can't discern that without my brothers around me. Thank you for the brotherhood of believers. They are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. Lord, deal with us by your spirit of holiness. Bring us into the commitment that is made with the hand under the thigh of Messiah. Our generations depend upon it. And we want you to be blessed by our generations, Lord. 